everybody, and welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DuPont, joined by, as always, Nick DeCola, Tyg Mullen, and Andrew Freeman. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Four Star Pod CHI. Also, check out fourstarpodchi.com for our blog posts. I actually wrote one this past week, so there is a blog post other than the four stars up. But uh, once again, we have moved our four stars of the week segment over to a blog post just since we're getting into basketball and hockey season figure save a little bit of time on the episodes and get you guys to check out our beautiful website designed by nick decola who you can also find on twitter at endicola 21 tag is at tm mullen 007 and andrew is at aj freeman 25 if that is not the best segue i have ever had on this show i don't know what is uh but anyway the bar is really low it kind of gets the bar is pretty kind of gets yeah. ruined by you pointing it out right away yeah but, you know i digress hey, you know what i'm you gonna take professional credit credits do whether you want to give it to me or not you were professional <laughs> until you were like look at how professional i am <laughs> exactly that's the kind of show this is uh so digging into it uh we did have a pretty busy week for the cubs and i uh, got some stuff to cover on the bears from their last preseason game Cubs have been on a really good stretch. Unfortunately, the Brewers have been on an even better stretch. We've gone seven or we've taken seven of our last 10 games. Brewers have won eight in a row. So despite the fact that we're seven and three over our last 10, we've lost ground in the division. However, we have gained ground in the wild card. We are currently sitting a half a game ahead of the wild card cut line, which is nice. And just a few uh, discussion points from this week. Uh, speaking of my blog post, I guess that's the first one we have listed. Ian Happ is still batting third in the lineup despite some struggles and people beneath him doing much better. Uh, do you guys want to discuss that at all? Do you want me to rant for longer? Well, you're, you're the one that wrote the blog post, but I do want to point out, like, after you put the blog post up, he had a really good series in Pittsburgh from the three hole. So, yeah, that's you true. Know. Keep the negativity up, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Toxic Chicago yeah. Twitter, let's go. He also loves Pittsburgh, to be fair. But yeah, I don't know. My, I mean, at this rate, I mean, my only guess is just it's a combination of bought the goodwill with Ross from just being like one of the longest tenured players on the team besides Hendricks and also just ego and like, you know, you know, if like if Ross thinks that that's the most effective you'll be is putting keeping him in three hole and he'll keep putting him there. But um you know, yeah, if you want to talk about analytics and stuff, really, there's a couple of guys that really need should be getting moved down, but it's hard just to kind of keep balancing everybody's like confidence levels and ego, like I said. So, yeah, Ross, you made a couple of really good points to defend it. I think I read it in a Bleacher Nation blog post, was either today or yesterday. But Ross, he was just saying, like, look, the team as a whole is moving. Obviously, we're doing well. Why would I disrupt a guy's confidence? Why would I jumble stuff up this late in the season if everybody's comfortable where they are? Like you guys said, he turned it on a little bit in Pittsburgh. And in retrospect, it is kind of nice having a switch hitter in the three hole, kind of, you know, shake up the uh, first inning for the opposing pitcher. Um, I don't know if we really need to go too deep into this. Again, if you want, you can check out the blog post. I have a few more stats up there. Uh, the main one being Jamer Candelario's OPS this year is about. 150 points higher than Haps is, and Jammer consistently is hitting out of the seven hole. But uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add there, or do we move on? 
Uh, I don't think it really warrants too much discussion. Like you said, Ross gave his reasons. Hopefully he gets hot at the right time. Say is getting hot at the right time. You know, mm-hmm. let's, tell, let's hope that Chris you know, Morrell just kind of gets back to being hot at the right time. And that's, I think, all you can ask for. Teams rolling. Let's get a wild card spot. Let's win the division. You know, whatever. And we do since, have that series uh, coming up against the Brewers. Since, uh, since Tuesday. Jordan, you put the blog post up on Tuesday, I think. Since Tuesday. Uh, he's been batting 250 with an OPS of 848 and a WRC plus of 130. So, still lower jokes than on you. Season. No, jokes. still lower than Jamer on the season. All right. <laughs> I remember I pulled the stats. All right. Um, so next up, this is more kind of broad MLB news, but we're gonna tie it back into the Cubs. Uh, Shohei Otani will not pitch again this year after tearing his UCL. He said he's going to continue to hit, but he will not be on the mound. What kind of impact does that have on this offseason and more notably the next most desired free agent at the end of the year, Cody Bellinger? Well, I think it's probably going to affect the sort of contract he gets, because I remember asking last week, you know, if it came out that the Cubs signed Shohei, it's like, would you care the amount of money that you gave him? Like his contract's going to start with a six. It's going to be we were all just kind of like give him whatever he wants. Now with this injury, it's sort of like, okay, do we really want to give him whatever? He's still a great player. You still want him on the team. You're still, he's still going to make a boatload of money. He just may not. I, I, I mean, he probably will get a record setting contract. I don't know if it's going to be as high as it would have been before. Yeah. I mean, I saw stuff on Twitter that I do agree with that. It's like, I mean, even if you still pay for Shohei the hitter, you know, like you're going to, you're going to pay for pretty funny and, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess the Twitter naysayers that are that were rooting for his injury to finally come, because yes, there are you out there, you weirdos. Um, yeah, it definitely does change the landscape. Obviously, Bellinger's, in my opinion, because of the relative value, Bellinger's value now goes up. I think for the Cubs, it makes more sense to just immediately cash in on him enjoying his time here and just be like, hey, let's sign him first. But uh, as our friend Parker mentioned, I believe in our chat, he's like, let's get after both of them. Hey, that's cool, too. Um, obviously, <laughs> we got we'll the see. money. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if Ricketts wants might to well. shut out. Might as well. But yeah, I think, you know, now, unfortunately, it's less clear about his future as the ace. We'll see if he just goes into hitting, kind of does the Babe Ruth, just hits only. I would love to see him pitch again. Um you know, when, he's, that, when he's healthy, you know, he's, when he's, healthy he's the best player ever. It's just yeah. what 2021 is the only season where he didn't have a major injury. I think, am I remembering that correctly? Last year. I don't think last year. Yeah. Last year maybe last I'm year. mixing up 21 yeah. and 22, but he, he's yeah. only had one. Yeah. yeah. Really injury free season where he was, tr- where we truly see what Shohei can do. Right. I mean, he's still a great player. You just, you'll just be getting one of the best hitters in baseball rather than, one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers in baseball in the same package. So, and he's right. never, he's still going to miss the playoffs with the Angels. Him and Trout. What a glorious waste. That's more of a loss for topic, but they both need out of Los Angeles. I will point um, out one thing before we move on. Um, yeah. it's, it's not as if UCL injuries and Tommy John surgeries, it's becoming way more common in recent years, and we've seen pitchers have these issues and come back strong. The only issue here is that you have to balance the fact that Shohei has such a high workload being both the batting aspect and the pitching aspect of things. And if he does get surgery in the offseason, that's going to require a layoff. Does that mean he right. can't hit during this layoff? Does that mean, you know, I, obviously it wouldn't, 
it's not a death sentence, but you still have to factor in the fact that, you know, he's going to be recovering from surgery. So do you really want to invest all this money into a guy who, you know, is coming off surgery? You know, the ceiling, but is it worth the risk? Yeah. And for what it's worth, I mean, I think Seager had Tommy John as a shortstop. He came back to just hit first, I think. I mean, it was weird because he's still with the Dodgers. And then Didn't, Bryce, uh, did, yeah, Bryce, Bryce Harper has a tear that he's never – I don't really think he's, like, addressed it, but he's just the Phillies <laughs> DH did only. He not, <laughs> did he not get surgery for it? I don't – well, maybe he did, but, like, I he came he back – I thought he did in the offseason. I know he like hit through it in the playoffs yeah. last year. But. Yeah. Which, I mean, in this crazy. situation, like, you know, the Angels are clearly not going to be making the playoffs, which, if I'm, it's easy for me to say, but if I'm in Shohei's shoes, like, why not just get a head start, try to get the surgery as soon as possible, miss the rest of this year, and then, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. There's really nothing for him to prove in terms of like right. his own contract value. Like, dude, if a t- like a team wants you, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. the contenders want you. I agree. Oh, we'll see. I don't know. He also seems like kind of do this just like I'll just play. I don't know. You know, like just yeah. kind of how he is, but whatever. Well, moving on, we got a couple of Cubs pitchers to talk about. Speaking of Shohei Otani, uh, Jordan Wicks. Holy cow. Did he have an incredible MLB debut? And Javier Assad followed it up today with another extremely strong outing to start the game for the Cubs against the Pirates. Mix missing Strowman and moving Smiley to the pen a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, it's Jordan Wicks, especially. I was watching the start last night. Jordan Wicks, he earned one of our four stars of the week. Look out for that tomorrow. If you're uh, come to the site tomorrow, we'll have that up. But uh, yeah, if you didn't watch the game, Jordan Wicks got called up from uh, AAA, uh, came up, got off to a pretty rough start. He gave up a leadoff home run, a walk and a single. And then uh, Tommy Hadovy came out, Cubs pitching coach, gave the greatest mound visit in the history of mound visits. On a dime, Jordan Wicks turned into the best pitcher on the planet. He retired the next 15 batters. He struck out the next five batters. He struck out five batters in a row. He finished with nine strikeouts. Uh, his changeup looks phenomenal. He got nine swings and misses on just that changeup alone. Uh, it, it, he just looked dialed in, locked in. And I think, um, you know, I think, Jordan, like you said, with uh, Stroman out, Smiley struggling, it's really hope you really hope he can continue that even you know lock down a rotation spot down the stretch yeah it was i didn't get to see well okay (laughs) my problem with the cubs game yesterday was i turned it on when i got home from work and then it you know it was like four to one or something and then i fell asleep and woke up and it was eight to six and i was like what the hell happened here so I, I missed most of Jordan Wicks' outing, but from what I saw, dude was lights out. I mean, I love his delivery. Um, from watching on TV, his 92-mile-an-hour sinker looks like it's moving 100 just because of the way he throws it. Uh, and then that changeup, you know, they were showing the side-by-side video footage of it, and the release looks exactly the same as the sinker, and so you're not sure what you're getting, you know. Yeah, great. Fire. Great against hitters. Um, I'm really hoping he can keep that up, and it wasn't just a fluke, you know, beginner's luck thing because he'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the Pirates just had no answer for him. I could be remembering this wrong, but from the mound visit on, I don't think a ball left the infield. Uh, Correct. There was no outfield outs until Wesneski. Ah. Um, 
We don't talk about Wisniewski. Here. But and even then, uh, <laughs> even this is a then, podcast. We're gonna have to talk yeah, about Wisniewski. In the yeah. sixth inning, there still was nothing, no balls left in the infield. Um, and then it was the seventh inning when everything started going bad. Oh yeah, obviously he gave up the leadoff home run, Wixed well, it, but yeah, no, yeah, but no, I, yeah, after the mountain visit. None of the outs were recorded in the outfield yeah. until the seventh inning, and Ian Happ caught one. That is why I specified after the mound visit, but yes. <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah, and then unfortunately it got a little scary. Like I said, I woke up and it was 8-6, to six and Hayden Wesneski threw, what was it, 39 pitches in the seventh inning, let the Pirates bat around the order. He's not ready. I'm, I hate to say it. He's not ready. I, I, I don't even know if it's that he's not ready because we've seen him – pitch well before but uh, something's just off especially like in, in those 30 you mentioned the 39 pitches he only got one swing and miss in that uh in the in those 39 pitches and like i said wicks had nine on his changeup alone like and this is a guy who like he when he was dialed in when he came up last year he was making guys swing and miss so the fact that that's not happening anymore is really concerning yeah Biggest well, takeaway for me, I guess, um, from Wicks and size uh, specifically, is that these are both homegrown pitchers, right? So, one one of the issues I've had with the Cubs in years before this year has been the lack of really homegrown pitching talent. It seems like the the trend always with Theo was that he would try to go outside of the organization to bring in pitchers, and sometimes that works with uh, John Lester, obviously, which was a huge home run for the franchise. Sometimes that doesn't work. I think take Arietta through two. Take Arietta <laughs> no, too. Right, right. Uh, but Quintana is, is one of those where it just didn't really work out long term for the organization. Right. I don't think anybody won that trade. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was a no. lose lose for the city. Oh, wait, actually, no. That's actually right. I, I I was about to say no, but I got the uh, magical Kim Kimbrel trade confused with mm. that. That was another. That's another interesting one. I yeah. think it seems like we got the better end of that, but we definitely uh, I'm do. sorry, uh, Andrew, continue. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like, you know, I would like to get a po- to a point with the Cubs where we actually have a nice farm system of developing pitchers where you can start to develop these guys and get them into a major league rotation and not feel the needs where you have to go out and make those sorts of uh, desperate trades for, for guys. And look, I mean, if you can get – a true ace in free agency or in, in a trade, like I'm all for it, but I don't know. It'd be, it's nice to, it would be nice to have some homegrown talent here that you can just bring up through the organization well, and have a consistent base of quality pitching. I think we're there now we've got, you know, Jordan Wicks is homegrown. Um, Kate Horton is still in triple a, but he's homegrown. You got Justin Steele, Javier Assad, um, I think I saw a tweet at Edward Alzali. I mean, I, I saw a tweet today that three of the guys in our rotation currently, plus our closer are all homegrown talents. We're finally getting to that point where we're churning out good pitching. And it's, it's really exciting to see, because that's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than what we've been trying to do. And again, not to disparage John Lester, because huge John Lester fan here, but uh, it'll be nice to not have to shell out on those big contracts all the time to get an ace, you know? I love how we're and we all develop like sinker ballers. No, none of our guys like throw hard. I love <laughs> <That> <laughs> in is, the era of yeah. just three true outcomes, it's like, oh well, this uh, throws you know ninety four, whatever. Wicks throws ninety two. Yeah, yeah, yeah but really, I mean, Merriweather and Palencia are the only guys on the entire pitching staff that can hard. even come close to touching a hundred. 
Yeah. Isn't Ben Brown supposed to be a hard thrower? Or am I confused? I think he is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, you got him in the farm system too. You got the Cubs have pitching talent in the farm system, and even even Wisniewski. Like I haven't. I I know we just trashed him, and he's had a very rough season. But I still have hope for him. I still, you know, I still. Like yeah, I'm not gonna. Him. And no, so, you know, so I'm not saying get rid of him. Because, no, yeah, I, no, I'm not. But... I don't think anybody's saying that. I think it's just he's another, you know, arm that the Cubs have to develop. But, you know, the talent is there. You just have to develop it. Well, and speaking of uh, another homegrown pitching talent, uh, Keegan Thompson. Again, I missed the game today, but from what I heard and saw, it seemed like Keegan Thompson had a pretty good outing today. Yeah, he struck out the side in the eighth inning. Yeah, that's a pretty good outing. Very <laughs> It's very, uh, it's very encouraging because he was phenomenal last year in relief yeah. and even in the spot start here and there. And, uh, you know, this year it was just, I, I don't know what went wrong with him, but hopefully, hopefully this is the Keegan Thompson we get going down, especially against the Brewers. You know, need- these guys, yeah, these guys are young. They're all, yeah. they're getting the growing pains. So I don't know. Keegan Thompson that young for whatever reason I feel like he's older you know as i said he's 28 yeah which i mean that's not that's not that's not old old but that's older it's not young (laughs) yeah he's ancient says the 26 (laughs) and 27 year olds yeah he's he's so old i don't think any of us are 27 yet yeah i know says the 26 year olds yeah 25 maybe i don't know i think we're all 20 26 yeah yeah we are nick and tiger both older than me so all right yeah, and the baby. <laughs> I might be the youngest of the group. Woo-hoo. He's the baby. Yep. All, All right. right. Anyways, I'll take it. Uh, context. Moving on, it, Cody Bellinger, man. A uh, little bit. It, not really a. I don't want to say rough patch because he really hasn't had a rough patch since coming back from the IL. But he was a little bit slower. I, I was going to write my four stars of the week on Belly, and then I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, because Seiya has been on a tear. And so I changed my mind and wrote it on Seiya. But uh, Belly with a five RBI day today, coming in clutch, blowing out the Pirates to finish this. I think the series is finished up. Yeah, today Sunday. So, yeah, finished up the series. I am so glad Belly's on our team and we didn't trade him. Yeah, I mean, uh, you want, I mean, RBI, right? Love it or hate it stat, counting stat with the new era of stats. But anyways, uh, nobody's had more RBI since also break since, uh, other than the Bellinger. So dudes on, I mean, he's just finding every single hole, even if it's like a ground ball, he's just finding the hole. And yeah, that, that will regress next year. And then, you know, we'll see how it kind of, I don't know. I feel like he's going to get big money anyways, but dude's been great. He is the engine, (laughs) you know, like, uh, it's, everything's going through him and it's awesome. It's great. It's great to watch. Well, and it, the kind of cool thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure you guys have picked up on it because the broadcast mentions it all the time, but he almost is two different hitters depending on the count situation he's in. Strike one, strike two, he is swinging for the fences. If he gets to that two-strike count, he's kind of more just slapping at the ball. And it, I don't even mean that in a bad way because, like you said, Ty, every time he makes contact, the ball finds a hole. But he turns into very much more of a contact approach um and it it's it's been working and the ball keeps finding holes and you know with him being in the four hole there's usually guys on base as talkman nico uh not so much a little bit more lately but with talkman and hap in front of you he's usually got guys on base and nico steals bags so he's already usually on second by the time cody would even come up to hit so 
I like what I've been seeing. It's been working great. I don't think any of us can complain about it. Yeah. And, you know, even me already saying like, oh, his analytics have been down, which they haven't to be fair this year. But some of the analytics that are really good that, you know, like you can't, I don't know, I guess that are like always just going to be good signs. Like his K rate is way down. His whiff rate is down. His expected batting average is still up. His expecting slug is still up. And he's a great runner, great fielder. Um, honestly, I don't know like what else you want from the guy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I like, mean, like if we miss the playoffs, he's going to be the last person <laughs> that I'd ever blame in this situation. You know, so I, I think the only thing <clears throat> that we might like to see more of is a return to more power. But again, if you're going for that return to more power, you're going to lose that two strike hitting approach. And I think that's really what's been the biggest benefit of having him on the team this year is, is how he approaches swings with two strikes on him. So I'm good. Don't change a thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Belly, we love you. Please sign with us in the offseason. Question is, can he get on base? Hell yes. The answer is, is the, the answer, answer is yes. Then you've got <laughs> Hell yes is the answer. Hell yes is your answer then. Yeah, I, I'm – I think I'm, I think we're getting to the point where a Bellinger re-sign would be would be huge for the organization. I think I, I think it should be a top priority outside of getting Shohei into Chicago here. But yeah, he's he's had a great season, and we talked about him quite a bit. So I don't want to belabor the point too much. But um, yeah, I mean, like like Tice and you and Jordan have said, he's this doesn't work without him this year. Like and it was this is a one year gamble that the front office took on him, and it is it is really paid off. And I, it would it would be nice if they could further pay that off by keeping him here long term. But you know, time will only tell on that. Yep. Well, I mean, uh, he's not here. We're not in the playoff race. <clears throat> yeah, that's early, true. You know, like <laughs> for sure. Yep. So. For sure. Uh, well, this last point, I know I touched on it. I think. It, the the writing style would imply Nick is is that accurate? That uh, that that was me. I'll I'll let you take this one. Any, anytime that, I, I drop an f bomb in the outline, you could tell it's me. All right, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you bring the point up. All then. right, okay. Texas Rangers, you're useless. Minnesota <laughs> Twins, you're useless. San Diego Padres, you're useless. You can't win one damn game against the Brewers. The Cubs are eight and four in their last twelve. I think eight and four. Am I right? That's what you put in the chat earlier, yeah. Okay, eight and four in the last twelve, and they've lost ground in the division race. God, the the it's like the Cubs have to unleash Thanos at the end of I don't know what I don't remember what movie, but the post credit scene where he puts the Infinity Gauntlet on, he's like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." That's that's what the Cubs have to do. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Yeah, let's, we can move on. But yes, totally agree. Uh, yeah, I, I watched the Padres game today too, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> I was like, this team is just rock bottom beyond belief. So, yeah. Did you text I know. your father-in-law and tell him that his team is useless? No, I haven't. No, yeah, I haven't been. I, the only reason why I haven't been rubbing it is because like he just had surgery and stuff. So I'm like, uh, all right, let's. He's already gone through it. <laughs> the last thing the man needs is just me rubbing it in this team kit win. Can you guys hear the cat in the back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. The cat agrees. The cat agrees. <laughs> yeah, he's never done this before. He's just he's staring at me right now. But anyway, um, four star podcast featuring squints. Uh, we'll move on from cats to bears now. <laughs> just, just wait till just wait till my cat gets down here. She will. 
come into the picture every time. Like <laughs> that is a given. I'm gonna be the only one without a cat. You're getting podcast. your own place though. You can, can get a cat this. and join the cat. Party. Changes. I don't want a cat. <laughs> yeah, you I know. Don't. Yeah, no, I don't. Do. I didn't think right. I did, and I am no the, no regrets. Dude, they will they will change your life forever. All right, just <laughs> <laughs> you, you gotta join the club, man. We've all got cats. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about the Bears who played a preseason game against the Bills and lost 24 to 21, correct? Yes. Who cares? It's preseason. Third time's the charm. No, that, that's the only reason I wanted to do it is because I haven't gotten the score right yet once in any of the preseason games, and I finally did it. I so, feel like he's got it up on his monitor. He just I don't. I legitimately don't. I will screen share right now he's, for proof. Gonna, I do not have it up on he's my He's going to miss next week, so I'm calling it. <laughs> or you know, week one. <laughs> Two weeks, week whatever. One. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, hopefully right, the so, Bears blow the Packers so much that we won't have to worry about getting the score exactly right. But yeah, right. A billion to one. A billion. To one. <laughs> what is it? Bears ninety nine, Packers seven, or whatever it was. Anyway, um, I'm going to be honest. I did not have an opportunity to watch the game. I did see the DJ Moore highlights, but that was about it. So I will let you guys kind of take the reins on this one. Discuss what you saw and. What you liked and didn't like. Well, you didn't miss, uh, miss much because uh, <laughs> it was, Freudian uh, slip right there. Freudian slip. Didn't much. <laughs> I mean, the last time I saw the, the Bills play the Bears in a preseason game, Mitch was the quarterback for the Bills, and that was a uh, that was quite he, a he balled out. If I remember, yeah, that was yeah quite performance. By it. it was probably his best performance of his career. Good for Mitch in that scenario. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean. I mean, what's there really to say? Like the starters, like Fields got three series. Um, you know, he had that big play to DJ Moore, like you mentioned, Jordan. Um, otherwise, like there really wasn't much else from the first team offense in this one. You know, it, it, for one, it should be mentioned that the Bills are just loaded. And you can just tell by what yeah, it, it's preseason, but you can just tell that they're just they're on a different level than the Bears. And like you can just like Josh Allen's going out there throwing it across his body, like all the way across the field, getting completions, making it look easy. The Bears can't get a pass rush. They can't stop the run against the Bills first team offense. Um, they can't get a run game going with four, three, four starters out on the offensive line either with their first team offense. Like, yeah, it was just what, what are you going to say? It's preseason. You know, like, it was just it was just not. Not great, but what are you gonna do, man? It's just they're not game planning. It's it, yeah, it was flat and just like yeah. the regular season, which I think we we all all are too. Yeah, and I, I like I only watched because I'm not a loyal fan. I'm sorry, but like I I only watched Fields, <laughs> and then when Fields came out, I was like, cool, I'm done, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I oh yeah, well Notre Dame was playing too, but um, the I mean just like watching the play calling is so clear that Getsy was just trying to do everything in his power, just be like, get the ball out of your hand, don't get hit. And then the moment he did get hit on the screen, they're, they're like, they out. called, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, GTFO, like he popped right, yeah, here. he popped right back up. I'm sure he's good to go, but they're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> never, it ain't worth never it. good. Yeah. So, I mean, just the entire preseason, even on the plays that we scored those crazy touchdowns, they were screens, you know, it's like, right. there's no, um, there's no plan to do seven step dropbacks, long developing, you know, crisscrossing routes, whatever. He's just like, just get the ball out of your hands and move on. And the run plays were all stale, just like here, Herbert, see what you can do. So, um, I don't know. It's preseason. 
we got Packer Week coming up. I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just hyping myself up for that. But uh, I guess we yeah, can we make got, it. Yeah, uh, you know. we got America's Game of the Week time slot. I saw 4:25 Eastern on Fox two weeks from today. Um, Jordan loves first opening day start as a Packer. Yeah, I really hope. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it because I'm not going to jinx it. But anyway. Yeah, I hope hope we destroy them then. (laughs) So since it was kind of just a boring, stale preseason game, I mean, were there any flashes from anybody you saw? Anything that worried you? Again, bearing in mind it's preseason, or should we just move on to the transactions that have happened to get down to the 53-man? I'll I'll say one thing, and then we can move on, because they're really outside of like the first few, the first half. There really wasn't too much i think to take away from here i will say that it was concerning for me that justin fields didn't look comfortable even with clean pockets all day and you know this is this is where i get scared as a bears fan who's seen this rodeo before but the the whole thing with justin fields his first two years was that he had poor offensive line play held on to the ball a lot and as a result he was getting hit a bunch and getting sacked a lot and i just hope there isn't like scar tissue there where mentally he's just he's afraid to stand in and um, you know, stand tall in the pocket and go through progressions consistently. Cause you could tell watching this game that he, he knew that he had three starters out on the offensive line. And <laughs> he was like, if, if my first couple reads are not open, like I'm getting the hell out of here because I do not trust these guys. But if you're going back and watching the game, like he had clean pockets the entire time he was out there. So it, it does worry me in the sense that I wonder if he's, making too much of a thought towards the pass rush at this point in time. But it also could just be like he's barely played it all in the preseason, so he's probably knocking off some rush to rust too. So I mean we'll, well see it is preseason, so he might and, just be being extremely cautious too. Right. That's like you're saying. And it could also just be like a coaching thing where maybe this preseason, this camp, they want to put more of a focus on like him yeah. like trying to stand in the pocket, withstand pressure, like withstand pressure and, and all that rather than just taking off with his legs. Because last mm-hmm. year, if you remember the beginning of the year, they didn't have him use his legs at all and he looked terrible. And then the second they're like, okay, we're gonna move you around. We're gonna have do design runs and stuff. He was like the best quarterback in football for like five weeks. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that he's has it in his mind that I'm going to try to be more of a pocket passer um, or maybe he's being coached that way. And that's gotten his head a little bit. I mean, that's just me spitballing it. And it's preseason. You don't want to draw conclusions to it, but you know, obviously once the regular season comes around, whatever training wheels or whatever limitations are going to be like, okay, use your legs, go wild. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. And and again, I don't want to overact too much to that. It's, we said before it's preseason and a, a couple other things, I guess we can throw out there like Tyreek Stevenson had an interception this game. So that's cool that for too. the rookie. Um, we can talk about Pickens and, and Dexter. I thought both looked well. <laughs> Pickens Pickens has impressed me a little bit. Um, he, he's holding up better against the run than I thought he would, especially now that he's playing nose tackle technically or one tack, whatever you want to call it, in this defense, which I thought would be just a stupid decision by this coaching staff. But he's looked he hasn't looked completely overwhelmed there. Um, Dexter had a couple nice pass rushes for once, but his oh, run defense, God. his run defense was putrid in this game. So <laughs> it's it's give and take with him, man. Like every week, I, I, again, it's it's totally overreacting to a bunch of you know meaningless snaps. But like, oof, I I don't know. I just I have a bad feeling about that pick. But 
yeah, I mean, there's there's really not too much. I think you know Tyson Bajit. Now actually now now would be now a good time to transition new. to uh, the 53 man roster decisions. I think the biggest one, like you said, uh, Tyson Bajant is staying on the team. PJ Walker got cut, which to me, especially with all the guaranteed money, and I think he was on a two year deal, correct? He yeah. was two year deal. With all that being said, you know, tying this back into the Cubs a little bit, this is just going to show you it even quicker than Jed Hoyer. Ryan Poles does not care what the cutting of anybody says about his picking ability. It is performance-based. If you're not cutting it, too bad. See you later. Which I am, oh, finally. <laughs> finally, we have a GM that's willing to just, all right, that didn't work out. Cut bait. Let's move on. Let's go on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with uh you know him just being like no, no, we're done. Like he signed him this offseason, gave him 2 million in guaranteed money and that's still I mean granted that's not a lot no. considering the cap space that the Bears are working with here, but it's still like guaranteed money that you're like he he didn't buy into the sunken cost. He's like whatever. It's not working. We got Bajent who looks great. It looks definitely good enough to be a backup here. So, um, you know, I applaud it. I really do. Yeah, and, you know, on one hand, you don't like it that he's making a mistake like that in the first place to where he would cut a guy that in the offseason you thought would be your backup quarterback and got paid as if he would be. But, yeah, like you guys said, like it, this is a complete 180 from the last regime where we know that Ryan Pace, if he was in this situation, he would be doubling down on Walker. Hell, hell he might give him another signing bonus. Yeah. I was going to say, he might have an extension done already. <laughs> you, know, right. you know, you were saying that $2 million, two-year deal, guaranteed it's not money, yeah. you know, that's backup quarterback money. The previous regime, the backup quarterback money was $15 million. <laughs> yeah. So shout out Mike Glennon, you suck. Um, Andy Dalton got 10. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm great hair, though. I'm so okay yeah. with this. I am so, so, so okay with this. I mean, you'd rather have have your GM admit when he's wrong and just move on and try to solve it right because look not every gm is going to get everything right i think i said this before on i don't know if it was this podcast or my other podcast um but you know you look at howie roseman with the, the philadelphia eagles right you know he's made some pretty big mistakes as the gm with for the eagles there but the reason that he's one of the best if not the best gm in football right now is that when he recognizes he screwed up he Cuts the bandaid, he rips the bandaid off, and he immediately goes about addressing that mistake and improving off of it. Right. Um, so look, Brian Poles is going to make plenty of mistakes here. You just got to hope that, and we're now seeing it, that he has the fortitude to say, like, okay, this isn't working. I screwed up. Let's go in a different direction here, and we'll eat, you know, whatever consequences are, are there for us. And thankfully, like they're working in a situation right now where they have cap space to burn this offseason so they can afford to give out a couple bad guaranteed contracts that don't work out and i guess we can get into like alex leatherwood too he's another cut that happened today where they're gonna be eating some guaranteed money but yeah i mean they they clearly think they found a gem in bajan and, and pj walker hasn't been performing so look it's a performance-based business we move on and i mean realistically if justin fields goes down for a significant amount of time. This team is screwed anyway. So you might as well go with the young guy that has at least showed some promise, at least. Here, here, yeah. Squints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, I agree. I, I think, um, I don't know. 
It's uh, it was, hey, like they said that they're having a quarterback, like the, the QB two competition was up for grabs, and it was one of those things where it's like if you're serious about it, then you need to give badge in it because he just has like better up to this point, and and they did, they gave it to him, and I think what really what I think is the funniest thing about this is that Nathan Peterman survived. Let's go. <laughs> Let's like, go. Like how does Nathan Peterman survive your QB three? Like PJ Walker, how bad did you do, dude? You know, <laughs> like come on, man. <laughs> well, he's he's a true example for the coaching staff where they can say, hey, Justin. You see what Nathan Peterman just did? Do the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it could example there. I think it could also be a situation where QB2 is like, okay, you have to go in and manage the offense. And then your third string quarterback is more of like, I don't know, a playbook guy. It's like studying the playbook, knowledge of the playbook, working He's a quarterback coach, yeah. quarterback coach, yeah. essentially. And P- Peterman just seems like he'd be, he'd be better at that. He, that's what he did last year. He'd be better at that than PJ Walker. So it could also be that not necessarily that Peterman's better than him. Peterman's in the league longer than Josh Rosen is, man. Think about yeah. that. Think about oh that. Oh my God. Speaking <laughs> of bad GM decisions. Yeah. Steve Kime. Anyways, um, well, yeah, think, let's move on. We're, yeah, the, <laughs> we're the last Bears on. topic I want to cover. I, I thought I saw it, but then I didn't see No, there it is. Uh, skipped over it by mistake. Travis Gibson would like out of Chicago, which I am not a fan of because he's actually been pretty solid in a rotational defensive line role. Like our, like our D line can afford to lose somebody (laughs) that is even somewhat productive. Well, it's odd because the way I think the way it was originally reported was that he didn't necessarily request a trade, but he was given permission to seek out trades. So he's, he's looking for a trade elsewhere. Obviously what I think is happening here is that the bears let him know that like, you know, look, you're probably not, we're probably going to be cutting you we're giving you a chance right now to see if there's any situation out there that you'd like to go to. If we could string, you know, strike up a deal, we'll strike up a deal and move you there. So that's what I think is going on here because look, the bears have added a, a lot of players at edge rusher this off season. <laughs> First you have the Marcus Walker signing. Uh, they brought in Rasheem green this off season. Uh, Terrell Lewis has uh, looked pretty good. They took a flyer on him, and he, and he's looked pretty solid in preseason. They seem to like him. They drafted Dominic Robinson last offseason, and then obviously the Yannick Ngakwe um, addition that they just got like, what, like two weeks ago, basically, or a week ago. Um, so they've brought in a lot of new names here, and they're clearly trying to go in a different direction here. But I'm kind of – I'm in agreement with Jordan here. You know, if the Bears can't strike up a deal – um, to get a pick for Travis Gibson, which I think they could. I think there are some desperate teams out there looking at Atlanta right now because Ryan Pace is currently working in that front office, and they've been hoarding a whole lot, a whole lot of former Bears. So <laughs> you never know; that could be the destination when it's all said and done here. But they need edge rusher too, so uh, that could be a perfect fit. Actually, now that I think about it, not just in an ironic way, but but yeah, like Travis Gibson, he's been their best edge rusher in the preseason so far. And again, it's, it's preseason. He's going up against backup tackles usually who aren't going to be on, you know, who aren't going to be starting obviously. Insurance salesman, future insurance salesman, whatever, <laughs> whatever the term you want to use there. But look, I mean, you, you compare him to guy. He's been way more productive than Dominique Robinson. This, this uh, preseason, he's been, way, he's been more productive than, than Lewis. Who's looked good at times. He's certainly been better than Rasheem green. Who's just been a whole lot of nothing 
out there, in my opinion. Um, like he leads the team right now with 14 pressures in the preseason. He's got two or three sacks, I think. He's got he had a forced fumble in this last game against the Bills. Like he's consistently been their best pass rusher, and he was that guy before the Yannick Ngakwe signing. So if you're like seriously looking to compete this year, I don't get why you'd move on from legitimately your second best pass rusher on the team. Like no offense to these other guys, but like it's still not a good defensive line. So I don't know why you'd make yourself actively worse when, and keep other guys that just objectively are just not on his level as a pass rusher. Like Travis Gibson, he's got some other issues in his game, but as a pass rusher is like a rotational guy, like he's like your ideal third or fourth edge rusher that can come in and get, you know, a couple of nice rushes a game. So I don't know. The entire process is just confusing to me. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up on the Bears. Um, nothing new with the Bulls and Hawks. Still a couple months away from opening day on both of those. Yep. So time to move on to the 180s. Because, again, we moved our four stars of the week to a blog post. So make sure you go to fourstarpodchi.com to check that out. Andrew, if you would like it to take it away for your – uninterrupted three minutes i guess talking about the 1990s bulls teams yeah well i was like not i was not knowing what i wanted to talk about and then i guess last minute i'm like you know what i talked about old bulls topics like for all my other 180s so i might as well keep on going with the trend here so yeah uh today i wanted to I i was thinking about this you know looking back at that 90s dynasty i think i talked about the 96 bulls and their their part in history a few weeks ago. So I wanted to go ahead and rank all nineties championship teams here and give my thoughts quickly on a few of these teams. Um, and coming in in last place that I got here is the 98 bulls. This is the last dance, the last they're, dance, the last dance. Last. I know they're in last place, obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this team is, is legendary because of the documentary, obviously, um, they're an iconic team. It's an iconic season. But if you look at this objectively here, yeah, they won 62, 61 games, I think. Yeah, 62 games. But you just look at the numbers here. They actually they weren't the best team in the NBA that season in terms of regular season record. Um, they had the third best net rating in the NBA at the time, which is the lowest of uh, – they, they had the lowest net rating of any Bulls team in that decade for their championship teams. Um you know, this was truly a Michael Jordan carry job. And Michael Jordan this year wasn't even like at – I know he won MVP, but this was not a a dominant Michael Jordan season. It truly was a carry job. Scottie Pippen infamously missed like half the season because um, he wanted to stick it to uh, Jerry Krause and got his surgery delayed in the in the offseason. Um, and, yeah, they just, they just weren't a dominant team. And it's during one of the weaker eras in NBA basketball. So – they come in the last place. Fifth place for me is the 93 Bulls, um, part of the first dynasty. Um, yeah, just they weren't as good. They only won 57 games. Um, so they had the lowest regular season wins among the six championship teams. But Michael Jordan was so damn good in these playoffs. He averaged 41 points in the NBA Finals this year. So it was just Michael Jordan during this time was just unstoppable. Number four, 97 Bulls. They won 69 games in the regular season. Nice. but. Nice. Nice number right there. Sure. But you look at this team, like Dennis Rodman, he was a shell of his former self at this point in time. Tony Kukoc had a horrific playoffs um, run with the Bulls on this team. And I don't know. I just didn't think this team was 
all that great outside of Michael and Scotty. It really was just a Michael and Scotty carry job here. Uh, 93 uh, in, in third place. I have the 92 Bulls. Um, they won 67 uh, games in the regular season. They actually had the weakest postseason run out of all these teams. If you look at it from a stats standpoint, but I mean, this was Michael Jordan at just past his peak. Um, Scotty Pippen was just coming into his own as a, as a top five player in the NBA at the time. Um, you had guys like Horace Grant, who was kind of coming into his own, BJ Armstrong, John Paxson, um, some really good role players on this team. Uh, they come in at number three for me. Number two, I have the 91 Bulls, and I was tempted to be kind of a contrary and put them at number one because Michael Jordan during 91 is – this is the best player in basketball history in 91. Jordan, Michael Jordan, just to put into perspective his playoff performance in the 91 playoffs, okay? I'm pulling him up right here. I'm, I'm, I know I'm running low on time. I don't want to take too long here. But in the 91 playoffs, he averaged 31 points a game, eight and a half assists, six and a half rebounds, two and a half steals, one and a half blocks on 52% shooting, nearly 40% from three. The guy was just incredible. He averaged almost a triple double in the NBA finals. Like they had, this 91 team, they had the most dominant postseason run of all of these teams here. So they're number two for me. But number one, it's the 96 Bulls, right? 72 and 10. They got the ring, you know. It's Jordan's weakest finals, obviously, against the Seattle Supersonics. Um, so they kind of ended on a low note, but they were so dominant throughout the rest of the playoffs that it kind of doesn't really matter uh, from that standpoint. So, yeah, that's that's my ranking. Just to recap it, 98 Bulls, 93 Bulls, 97 Bulls, 92 Bulls, number second. My second team was 91 Bulls, and then obviously the 96 Bulls coming in at number one. My favorite no part balls. of that was – you taking all these championship winning teams. It's like, Oh, these teams weren't that good. <laughs> you're just, hey. you're just Chicago's wet blanket. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you got, when you get to this level of dominance here, you, there are nits you got to pick here to kind of decipher through uh, these teams and come away with who's the best one. And yeah, it, it was, it was a tough list to make because all these teams are really good from a general standpoint, but you know, some teams are better than the rest. And I think that was the case here. All right. Well, I'm up next. Going to talk about some left turns at 200 miles an hour today with you guys. I'm bringing NASCAR back into the fold. Not for the Yeehaw. reason you might think, though. Um, so NASCAR just had their final race before their playoffs at Daytona International Speedway. For those of you that don't know, Daytona is one of the two true super speedways. Don't hit on me, NASCAR fans. I get that they had at Atlanta, but it doesn't actually count. My thought. Uh, so at these super speedways, you have basically two rows of cars racing inches apart from each other at 200 miles an hour, no braking, none of that. And as you can imagine, there are some pretty spectacular crashes that happen. This just happened last night. Can you all see it? Yep. Afraid of themselves. A big push coming now for Harvick. Oh, and around man. goes a couple of cars. Priest upside down. He's barrel rolling through the grass. Ryan Priest, upside down in the infield. Going down the back straightaway, he makes a move. This is going to be a better angle. From behind, and the car goes Do roll. into the infield. I was Air just about to say just that. Right up off the ground. All right, so I don't want to take too much of my three minutes for that. But, uh, yeah, pretty freaking crazy, right? The driver got out of the car under his own power. He was then put on a stretcher because obviously he just flipped 13 times in the course of like, I don't know, 10 seconds. 
um, taken to a hospital, evaluated, released today back home in North Carolina. That is how safe modern NASCAR is. And I know they had some issues last year when they brought in, they call them the next-gen cars. They did a complete redesign. The rear bumpers were too firm. They didn't give enough. There was too much impact transferred to the driver, and they had a few concussion problems last year. But overall, I mean, come on. It, literally 200 miles an hour, and that dude just flipped 13 times in the air and was able to get out of the car under his own power. It's insane. So NASCAR safety has come a crazy long way since its inception, which I mean, you'd hope. But um, the fact that you can have such a violent impact like that at 200 miles an hour and just get out of the car by yourself is, is pretty mind-boggling. So. so you're saying I can do it? No. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you could crash and probably not be hurt, but I don't think you have the reflexes to drive a car at 200 miles an hour inches away from somebody else. Hey, man, I'm built different. Okay, whatever. You think that? That is that is some great mechanical engineering from those NASCAR engineers. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> you get a boo from me, sir. <laughs> hey, Nick, what is it you're doing with your mechanical engineering degree again? Uh, design making more design. money than us <laughs> oh. <laughs> i mean like like, like, like I, i'm aware enough to self burn why, like, why did you, <laughs> come on i teed it up so good and then you just... oh, no 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 <laughs> no oh, man. no anyways i guess <laughs> no, no, mind. No. um hey we're gonna continue on theme of movies i don't i'm boring that's all i can talk about um and i want i really want to i really want to burn the bridge with the Japanese fans we've made, you know, <laughs> with the Shohei thing. So welcome to part two of my horror movie rant. Uh, this is actually supposed to be done two months ago and then, you know, life happened. So um, why did I want to do this? Well, I love the classic Japanese horror games. You got Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Fatal Frame, etc. cetera. Uh, don't talk about Siren. We don't talk about Siren in this household. Um, or you also have independent game makers like Chilla's Art. They've made a game so scary that one time I threw my headphones across the room playing it. <laughs> Unfortunately, by throwing the headphones and disconnecting it, it then turned the screams into the computer speakers. So I still <laughs> heard the screams. Um, yeah, they haunt me every night. Um, <laughs> so anyways, look. So I was like, from that and from looking at various blog posts um about people that really hype up these japanese horror movies i was i got inspired you know i was like well i mean why not watch some of these classic movies uh like the grudge and etc and uh i'm sorry uh to those that love these movies they kind of suck <laughs> like i'm just sorry the grudge started off really hard and i was like okay yeah here we go uh and then it was 80 minutes of mid um my dad and I agreed that if you watch the original Ring movie, it's actually better to watch as like a detective movie. But if you watch as a horror movie, it's just going to kind of make you laugh. There is a part that I can't do justice here. Maybe I'll try to figure out how to make, do justice to later. But it was so funny. I laughed so hard watching it. Oh, it's so good. Um, anyways, that's that. Uh, Uzumaki, or known as Spiral, is hilarious. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that movie was not intended to be funny. But that made, movie made me laugh so hard as well. Um, Perfect Blue actually pretty good i liked that one that was pretty good but i mainly want to discuss one japanese horror movie today with you all that i can't believe gets this overhyped and that's the movie called pulse the sheer amount of recommendations i saw for it on reddit on other blog posts and people being like this is one of the best japanese horror movies you can ever watch um i thought that it was going to be you know like nolan ask on just how good it was um for a premise it's the same thing as they all are oh no i see a curse Oh, Lord, the curse is coming after me. 
and then I die. But this time it's the internet. Ooh, scary. So, uh, you know, I really, this movie turned out to be the poor man shining to me. It was so boring. I don't know if Nick remembers this, but I texted him while I was watching it and I almost fell asleep like four times watching it. Like I almost just <laughs> took a two hour nap. It was one of the worst movies. Not one of the worst movies. That's harsh to say, but so so boring such a lame ending i couldn't believe it so uh i want my four bucks back from youtube and i want you all to stop watching these movies and overhype them because i don't know why these weebs keep saying that it's the greatest thing they've ever seen uh it's not so that's my criticism of that next up i got spanish a bunch of spanish horror movies lined up and let me tell you what, Spain, <laughs> if you fail me too, man, I'm going to give up because these movies keep on getting hyped and people are like, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty high praise. And I don't know if these people have just never seen a movie before, um, but y'all really, really disappoint me. So that's all I got for today. That'll be some later time down the line. <laughs> nice. I'm just bringing them up Thank here you. so that he... Can stop? Nice. Oh, hi, right. Squints. Hey, Squints. How how you doing? If you're not watching, if you're not watching on YouTube, come to YouTube and you can see Jordan holding his cat, and you can see Andrew. Oh, now Andrew's holding his cat. It's a cat party. Uh, cat party. <laughs> Andrew's you know, cat. You can't tell she's absolutely pissed off. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say she does not look very pleased. She does not look thrilled. I'm gonna let you down. Uh, okay. Oh, oh, oh right. where's he going? Where's he going? Okay, he went away. All right. Anyway, I'm gonna. Wait, can my... I? I actually. Sorry to distract. I had a quick follow-up question for Tig, if you don't mind. Fire away. So the ring and the grudge. I did not realize they were Japanese horror. Were those dubbed, or was it just like they were redone remade. in English? They were really done. Yeah, we like all the those movies all had American remakes, including Pulse. Okay, but you've never heard of Pulse because it was a, apparently Russ Craven did it, and it has like a ten percent. Like apparently oh. it's horrible. <laughs> the American version of that. Whereas like the grudge and ring. Yeah, like they get memed on the American versions, but like, I don't know. It just kind of relies on jump scares and just loud noises, which is fine. But honestly, it's more enjoyable watching those movies, watching the American remakes and the original Japanese. Like, I get it. Like, I, I understand, too. Culturally, it's different. The way they tell their stories is different. And a lot of the themes of the Japanese horror movies reflect Japan at the time. So it's like, you know, we don't we didn't grow up there, obviously. So you have to kind of look that up but just i just like i saw so many good reviews so i'm thinking like wow this movie's gonna knock my socks off and it is what it is it's a lower budget made by really creative and you know driven people that were you know in their 20s just making movies and that's what you got <laughs> you know <laughs> like it's really nothing nothing special and just pulse especially i couldn't believe the reviews for that were that good because that movie was just so boring so that's all I got for that. But some of them were good. Like the one perfect blue that's animated. That one is really good. That's from the nineties. I, I like that one a lot, but everything else is just kind of boring or funny. And I don't think they're supposed to be funny. <laughs> Fair I'll enough. say though, Japanese action movies, especially some of the classes like seven samurai. Oh yeah. Yeah. The class. Oh yeah. Those classic samurai movies, gold cinema gold it was just exactly we all again it's another thing where it's like that's why i'm kind of like so when that's why i gave it the benefit of like being like wow they said it's really good i bet it is really good yeah <laughs> not really <laughs> all right nick floor is yours let's send us it. home okay. all right for the second week in a row i'm talking college football this week i am discussing my beloved illinois fighting Illini. 
I'm just going to quickly run through the schedule and give my prediction and what's going to happen throughout the season. All right. Week one, Toledo. A fun fact. Toledo is known as Glass City, which is fitting because the Illinois D-line is going to shatter the bones of Toledo's QB. Like Glass. Illini win. Week two, Kansas. The Illini travel to Kansas to give that stupid state one single exciting moment and one little shred of hope before crushing the Jayhawks. Illini win. I'm still seeing a theme here real quick, Nick. (laughs) Week three, Penn State. Now, last time these teams met, the Illini actually pulled off a shocking upset. It was an awesome nine overtime game. It was phenomenal. Now, you might think Penn State would be embarrassed if they were to be upset again. But, you know, given their history, I'm pretty sure they'd just look the other way. Uh, Illini win. Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Week four, Florida Atlantic. The final out-of-conference game on the schedule sees the Illini hosting the Florida Atlantic out. Wait. Their mascot is the Owls. The school is on the damn Florida coast, and they pick the Owls. Even I can tell you that's a lame mascot, and my school doesn't have one. I'm not wasting any more time on these losers. Line I win. Week five at Purdue. Former Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters faces the Illini for the first time since leaving for the head coaching job at Purdue. Brett Bielma plays the role of the U.S. Department of Transportation, announcing there will be more train derailments. Illini win. Week six, Nebraska. Reminder that this team lost to Northwestern last year. Yeah, that Northwestern team beat this team. And you think Matt Rule is going to save the Stumpster Fire? No shot. Illini win. Week 7, Maryland. The first Big Ten matchup of the season. That doesn't feel like a real Big Ten matchup because the people running the conference are greedy as all hell. A cheap imitation has no chance of standing up to the real thing. Illini win. Week 8, Wisconsin. The Illini face a new look Wisconsin team a year removed from getting their last coach fired after a blowout win in Madison last year. Uh, Wisconsin's getting a lot of love nationally and are pegged as the division favorites, which personally I don't get. It's a talented team, sure, but they're almost certainly going to be growing pains with the new staff and system. I don't have a joke for this one. I just needed to get that opinion out there. But obviously, a line I win. Uh, week nine, Minnesota. Fun fact, professional wrestlers Ric Flair and Brock Lesnar are Minnesota alumni which is perfect because the Golden Gophers are going to need their advice on how to make it look like they're actually putting up a fight. Illini win. Uh, week 10, Indiana. I don't even have a joke for this one. I just feel bad for the people forced to live in Indiana. Illini win. <laughs> week 11 at Iowa. A late-season matchup against the biggest offensive powerhouse in the division. Kirk Ferentz's nepotism will guarantee that Iowa continues to play the most hilarious brand of football possible, and I hope it never changes. As is tradition, bet the under, and Illini win. Week 12, Northwestern, the first game in this rivalry after the Pat Fitzgerald era came to an abrupt end. Anyway, this game gets so ugly, the NCAA considers it a haze, considers it hazing and opens up another investigation. Illini win and finish the regular season with a perfect 12-0 record. I think that's pretty reasonable. I'll end my predictions here for now, but you get the point. Prepare yourselves now, for we will soon have to bow down to our new Illini overlords. In Bert, we trust. Amen. Nick, I was really hoping. I was so hoping that you'd say for Iowa that they like Illini lose, <laughs> like like just just like against the Iowa, and it's like another six to three, six to four classic. Oh, oh man! So what then? Did the Illini win the champ- national championship, or is that for later? Oh, that, that's that's that, that's for later but yes. okay all right okay yeah good <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> i don't have the same hope for notre dame but you know uh <laughs> i'm more of a realist but you know more of a realist would be notre dame having a better shot at going 12 and 0 than u of i does because mm, uh yeah 
but we have to go play USC and Ohio State again. So I don't know. <laughs> hey man, at least you get to watch Caleb Williams. Wait. I doesn't play Ohio State or Michigan this year. No, they're in different they're in uh, division. different divisions. Oh, so they played Michigan last year. Well, actually, they played Indiana last year, and they're playing again this year. It's weird how it rotates, and it's going to change when all 40 new teams join the big 10 or whatever yeah. <laughs> when you're playing UCLA. Yeah. Like yeah. they made a big deal like last year because they gave every team like three, they, they got rid of divisions, but they gave every team like three natural rivals that they would play every year and swap out. And there was a big debate and like a bunch of conversation over that. And now they have to redo the whole thing once like, and now they have more schools joining. It just, God, I, uh, God, I hate it, it. That doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. And I'll obviously I have no ties to the Big Ten personally. You do. So if you want to do a rant about the Big Ten next week for your 180, please it, I endorse it. I'd love to hear it, honestly. But I remember uh shout out to another hometown friend, Ryan Eifert. He also went to U of I and he showed up at my house one time wearing a muck Fishigan shirt that was blue and orange. You guys hate Michigan. Everybody in the Big Ten hates Michigan. Why? It's more why of a basketball. I, I think everybody in the country hates more Michigan. Of it. But yeah, yeah everybody, so like, everyone does Michigan. hate Michigan. Why aren't you playing Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State? I mean, come on. It's just Because there's 12 football games out of the year, nine conference games, and there's approximately 147 teams in the Big Ten. So... <laughs> Yeah, a lot of it's like, you know, because the other teams have to consider their scheduling too and the revenue that they make, right? It's all about the about the cheddar. All about so. that dollar. Yeah, so um, besides, I mean, Nick, it's better off that you guys don't play Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, well, just... actually, <laughs> actually, as part of the, uh, what I mentioned before, the natural rivals, Ohio State was one of them. I think it was Purdue, Northwestern, and Ohio State was what they had settled on. So we would get them every year. Dumb. Ooh. Anyway, Bucks for them. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. of the line nine dominance. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming I think for the Illa Buck trophy. We're coming for it. <laughs> we have a I trophy with it's a rivalry. Is it though? Are you are you done? Is it though? Yeah, I'm are, done. Are you I'm done. done. You can end the You're show. Done? Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Are, are you sure? You don't, you don't have anything else you want to fuck off, Jordan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said. It's time to wrap up. Thank you so much for watching the four star podcast. Uh, one thing I do want to mention that I have been horrible about mentioning since like the second episode, please, please, please like comment, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's the only way that we can really grow. So we'd appreciate it. If you guys would help out with that, like the video comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe on Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, thanks again for watching. I'm Jordan DuPont. Joined, as always, by Nick DiCola, Todd Mullen, and Andrew Freeman. Check out the show on Twitter at 4starpodchi, our website, 4starpodchi.com, where you can check out our blog posts. All our most recent episodes are going to be up there. And you can learn a little bit about your four awesome hosts. Uh, you can find Nick on Twitter at ndicola21, Tag at tmullen007, and Andrew at ajfreeman25. You can also check out his other work on The Bear Report, uh, on 247sports.com and the Picks for Polls podcast. We'll be back ranting and raving again next week. Have a good one.